Hello and welcome back to Asians Represent. I'm Daniel Kwan, and Agatha could not be here for the recording of this pre-roll, but she is very much a part of this episode. And together, we're your hosts. Uh, today's episode is all about the Korean tabletop scene, and by that I mean the growing tabletop, you know, design and gameplay scene in Korea itself. Uh, our guest today is Sangjun. Now, Sangjun is an incredible English to Korean and Korean to English translator living in Seoul. Sangjun also designs games uh, for his Itch.io page. And Sangjun is incredible. And I really don't want to say more because I feel like it would actually spoil this episode, which just got better and better and better as time went on. And you're going to love it. All I have to say is that I have two announcements. Uh, the first is for Agatha. Um, later this week, Agatha's Kickstarter for Hearts of Wulin, the Powered by the Apocalypse game of wuxia melodrama, comes out. Uh, so stay tuned on our social media because I will be sharing the crap out of all of the links. It's going to be great. Uh, so follow us at AZNSrepresent on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you're just going gonna to see lots of Hearts of Wulin updates. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the second is that this week I'm actually going to be flying out to LA to participate in D&D Live. So alongside you know, uh, our good friends, the Broadswords, and other members of the One Shot Network, uh, we're going to be playing D&D on a set. And to be honest, this is kind of a dream come true and is super cool. Uh, but yeah, that's what we got going on. But the Asian represents uh, the Asians represent social media is going to be reserved for Agatha's Kickstarter because we got to get that funded and it's going to be great. If you want to follow, you know, kind of follow my D and D live adventure, just follow me at Daniel H Kwan. Uh, but otherwise, AZNS represent on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for updates on Hearts of Hulin and Daniel H Kwan for updates on D and D live. That being said, it's time to get into the interview. Sangjun is awesome. And here we go. Honestly, I, one of the things that, I mean, we've had a couple of Korean creators on Asians Represent, but we haven't had a creator you know, who is you know, living in Korea, is from Korea, and who is advocating for sort of the Korean community. I think one of the things we've talked about on Asians Represent is you know, Korean Americans. We haven't talked about, you know, creators in Korea. Mm -hmm. And I had actually never thought about that until I saw a post of yours on Twitter. You had tagged uh, Jason Morningstar in the post. And you were basically talking about how there's this misunderstanding in the tabletop RPG community. Um, that creativity in that industry isn't happening in Korea. And you proceeded to basically advocate for, you know, local Korean creators and share your work. So I like I dove into your work and I was like, oh, this is really cool because you've kind of positioned yourself, you know, in between sort of different parts of the industry because, you know, you are it, Korean is is your first language? Oh, Korean is my native language. Yes. Yeah. So Korean is your is your native tongue, but you're also an English to Korean and a Korean to English translator who also writes games. Mm -hmm. And the games that you've released are in Korean and English, which is really cool. <laughs> so like my, my question to you, like my, obviously my first question is like, how did you get started? Because I don't know anything about the Korean industry. 
Like, I don't know, Agatha, do you know anything about that? No. Yeah, I, we don't we don't know anything about the Korean industry. Like, where do you where do you go to even like where are games for sale? Who's publishing games in Korea? Oh, games in Korea. Well, actually, first I kind of missed the timing, but thanks for having me. And <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Games in Korea. Um, well, to be honest, the tabletop role playing games market is still relatively small in Korea. And it's more, it's somewhere between a hobby market and a, what would be a good comparison? A hobby market and, well, a hobby industry. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, only, so it's very new. It's, it's very new. Well, historically, it's, it's been around for 20 years, but it's only since 2012 that it became, a, it became sort of a market. Okay. And there are only about eight role-playing game uh, publishers in Korea. And that's including single-person in, uh, publishers as well. So it's not as active as it is in English. However, right. there's a lot of creativity going in, at least in you know, hobby enthusiast levels too. So how did you get started? Like, how did you even hear about this if it's such a small, if vibrant community? Oh, I kind of cheated a bit because I grew up in the <laughs> United States. Mm. And that's where I got exposed to tabletop role-playing games. And that's how I started. I was actually surprised to find out that people are playing, you know, role-playing games in Korea when I returned to Korea around 2013. Okay, what was what was the first game you ever played? Uh, my first game was uh, Mage the Ascension. Oh, okay. Agatha's got like a big smile on her face. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a game that just, I just keep fondly in my heart. It's, oh wow, it's just, it's such a game, but it's uh, hard to play in Korea because the, the Twins Anniversary Edition alone is so massive and nobody the link the lunch barrier is massive yeah yeah of so course it's a game i love but never get to play right so then uh when you were when you moved back to korea in uh 2013 what did you discover that people were playing there uh by the time people are playing dungeon world mainly Ooh. oh okay Mm-hmm. I guess like, ooh, story games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so around then it was Dungeon World and Fate Core games. And there was a bit of Savage Worlds games going on. Uh, Savage Worlds was actually um, gaining steam in Korea in 2013. Okay. Oh, I wouldn't expect that. Are there official translations of them? Uh, yes, yes. On all oh, okay. Ah, Okay. Oh, that's interesting because I I actually met somebody Mm -hmm. at uh, Gen Con last year who was from China and Fate Core is also really popular there. Uh, Like it's super popular. And so, so Sangjun, you're saying that Fate Core is also popular in Korea. Like why, why is that? Because like, I'm not super into Fate. Are are you Agatha? No. Yeah. So I I wonder what the, the appeal of Fate is there. Well, I haven't played it, so I haven't played it. Aside from one time, so I can't give an opinion. But I'm very curious. Yes, I'm super curious. 
Mm-hmm. So would you would, like would you say that Fate is the most popular one, or is it Dungeon World? I mean, at the time, kind of as the industry is starting to grow. At the time, my understanding is that those um, skill code, generic skill code, role playing game <laughs> systems were, you know, seeing signal in Korea was because, well, to be honest, back then there weren't there weren't as many games published in Korean yet. So the role playing games publishers first worked on those generic role-playing game systems so people could, you know, do their own stuff easier. And Fate right. 4, to my understanding, supports those at-the-table creativity. Same okay. in Safety Worlds. So uh, I think okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Because there weren't yeah. as many books available, people had to, you know, make their own, you know, games at the table. And that's, I think that's how that, how Korea became such a, an active place in terms of, you know, I guess, DIY approach to role-playing games. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess like Dungeons and Dragons doesn't have that appeal because it's, it's, um, I guess it's setting and it's all of the books are so very like Eurocentric. Uh, and I guess, you know, you know, Dungeon World and, you know, Fate Core are very, like, setting agnostic. You can do whatever you want with them. I mean, that makes oh, a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. So what is, like, the popular genre of the kind of role-playing uh, games? As in, well, I know that the games are, are, you can basically adapt them to whatever, but what kind of stories did you end up playing um, in? So story-wise, what's popular in Korea right now I actually did a bit of research on this, like what kind of stories are being told on tabletops in Korea. And I noticed that the vast majority is actually Eurocentric fantasy. Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess the fantasy genre has a bit of an interesting history because, well... I briefly mentioned this, but 20 years ago, when the first wave of role-playing gamers in Korea happened, they were playing Dungeons and Dragons, and they kind of set the, what do you say? Uh, the expectation or the standard? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of a it's sort of a bad joke, but like how you know people used to say that role-playing games like elf games and whatnot. So there must be elves, and there must be dwarves, and they must swing broadswords and whatnot. And yeah, that has kind of persisted over 20 years. But one fun thing is that that this this original Eurocentric fantasy is evolving into something more Euro-Korean fantasy. Whoa. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, it's there are two ways I could talk about this. One is well, so there aren't as many you know role playing game books available in Korea, so people adapt what's already in people's mind, like Lord of the Rings or other fantasy movies, to mm-hmm. the tabletop. And in during the process, they just reflect this stuff, reflect the stuff that 
people have on their mind, like, you know, Korean folklore or folk tales, and they get reflected on this Eurocentric framework, and it becomes interestingly Korean. Oh. And, yeah, and another approach is that people sometimes feel that this, you know, the fact that we live in Korea and we are playing Eurocentric fantasy, and people find it odd. So they are actually, what do you say, adapting old Korean folk tales or wuxia tales to, to that sort of role-playing game adaptive settings. Okay. So, that sounds super cool. So I, I have a question about the, mm-hmm. the kind of fusion, a sort of Euro and Korean type of story. So th- is it, in those stories, it, do you still get the kind of Eurocentric classes to choose from? So the high fantasy, I still get to play an elf or a dwarf, but then also in some of my encounters or some of the magic, that includes the folklore? Like, how does that work? You mean like, you mean like the classes like, you know, like the cleric, the bard. Oh, right. Sorry, I meant races and classes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> early D and D, Agatha. <laughs> well, the framework is usually so. The foundations is D and D esque fantasy. So you mm-hmm. have, you know, you have the fighter, the spellcaster, mm-hmm. you know, the thief, bard, and so on. And the foundation would be the, would be similar, but there are just elements that are undoubtedly Korean, as in, well, not really in the the game features, but in the story features. Mm. There's a common joke that you know in Korean folk tales, the Deus Ex Machina is a a monk that just happened to be passing by. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so in Korean folktales, uh, the villagers would be, you know, struggling against this monster that just popped up out of nowhere. And then a monk pops up out of nowhere and solves the problem for them. That's so D&D. <laughs> that, that is, that's so great. So yeah, then do you get so, to play as monks? Is that how that works? Oh, not as monks, as in character classes, but like that kind of figure in, you know, in the right. narrative framework. Right. So kind of we hear well. about, yeah, monks that just pass by village and solve problems. So instead of murder hobos, you have, you know, pieces being monks that pop out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> it's like, so it's kind of a different approach in terms of uh, your the narr- the story structure that you're going from is that, yes, uh, we are still going around trying to make money by killing things, but the, you, your expectation is you're going to save people from things. It, it's it's definitely a more uh, like culturally relevant perspective on it. It's like you're going around killing things, but also like culturally, you're like those monks in the folk tales. You just kind of appear, right. solve problems, and then collect a reward and then leave. Right. Yeah. So, uh, okay, this I have another question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it. Do you feel like, uh, because my encounter with gaming in uh, South Korea, and again, this is very, I I don't know a lot, but it it actually has been a lot of um, online role-playing games, like the MMO RPGs, uh, because a lot of them, this was when I was in Taiwan, and a lot of them were translated to Chinese, and then I was playing them. 
do you feel like there's any kind of overlap in terms of influence uh, from like the MMOs to these tabletop games as well? Or is that just completely separate? I have thought a lot about this, actually. Right. Because it's so big in Korea, right? Yeah. And my conclusion at the time was that they do influence each other, but in a sort of exclusionary way. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So, well, my thinking is that so people are playing, you know, MMORPGs and come to role-playing games, and they are doing this, you know, these really cool things in the, what, you know, cool things that the game allows you to do. But at the essence, there's the, there isn't much social aspect Despite being multi, you know, massively multiplayer. Okay. So the social aspect that I'm talking about is like how stories develop because there are two people who are interacting with each other instead of right. two players controlling two characters. Mm. So okay. we have the role-playing games, those people who just, you know, do quests and slay, you know, 1,000 bears every day. <laughs> yeah, come to the table and say, so my character is this and that, and that character is this and that, and, you know, all these stories are happening, so how are we going to, you know, react to this? That was kind of the thing that was going on in the in around 2013, I think. But in around 2019, that aspect has just become so magnified. So... A popular thing right now is uh, called Cthulhu modules. But, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Cthulhu, but the trend is it's not really about Cthulhu. It's more about how these people are in a, this terrible situation and how they care about and how they save you know try to save each other in mm-hmm. the you know. In this, you know, against this inevitable madness. So, yeah, so the main focus of these modules that are being shared online is it's not about accomplishing things, but more about how about how they interact with each other and how they tell a story together. Mm. I like that. Yeah, so I think that's how. MMORPGs and tabletop role-playing games are exclusionarily, you know, influencing each other. Okay, so it's more that uh, the people earlier, in if there were overlap, people playing, coming from the traditional playing MMOs, they would be very goal-oriented, I guess, and then mm-hmm. not interested in creating story, but in achieving whatever kind of next level that they want. And then this clashed a lot with the table culture. It, is is what I'm hearing? Oh, well, what I was saying was that um, that goal-oriented approach was what was more, you know, far more common in earlier years, earlier being 2012, 2013. Oh, and tabletop uh, games as well? Oh, well, well sort of. But okay. that goal, goal-oriented approach, you know, became more downplayed over the years. And mm. things became more story-centric. And I would like to say that the story-centric is, in Korean context, is, is really heavily character-centric. Ooh. 
that sounds so awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That just appeals to you. (laughs) I know. I love it. Character centered narrative focus. I mean that that's that's the heart of RPGs. Yeah, that's so you you actually mentioned that these are circulating online. Mm-hmm. Like where do people find this online? If there's no like obviously like we know about Itchio and, and drive through RPG, but are there are there certain Korean websites where these are circulated? Um there's no central repository of modules of freely shared freely shared slash paid contents yet. But people are, you know, uploading what they've made on their own websites and sharing them on Twitter. Or, uh-huh. you know, there's a place called uh, This Inside and they have a, a tabletop role-playing game bulletin board as well. I know that people are sharing stuff there as well. And there's also this thing called uh, a Neva Cafe, which is a, which is a free, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, yeah, a forum? A community framework. It's not exactly a forum because, well, maybe it is. <laughs> but yeah, so there are all these places where, you know, people are sharing things. But hmm. there's no real focus or single repository yet. I would really like to see the change. Huh. You you know what we're going to have to do? You're going to have to send us links to these websites and we can put them on uh, One Shot Network's website so that people who are interested can go and like look at your games and like other people's games. Because like one of the things that like a like the fact that you're like really strongly advocating for, you know, creativity, like tabletop creativity in korea uh, i mean one of that 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 part of you as a as a game designer you know interested me but also the, the the games that you make are very very unique like we've talked about fate we've talked about you know savage worlds and dungeon world but like you like the you have a game that literally uses a potato yeah. and you have another game that uses the major arcana tarot cards like I want, I want to know more about those. Oh yeah. So you have like, so the one thing that I keep seeing pop up on your Twitter is Tater Pig, a no-player tabletop RPG. Yeah. And like, can you explain that? Because I don't think Agatha has seen this yet. No, I've uh, only seen the picture of the Tater Pig, and it's very cute, but I don't understand. Thank you. Oh, it's Tater Pig is actually um. Well, how to explain this? I I am actually explain this. <laughs> Yeah, Tater Pig actually began as, uh, so on Twitter, I saw, you know, another person who's, you know, pronouncing TTRPG as Tater Pig. Oh! Oh my gosh! Oh, I didn't even get that! TTRPG is Tater Pig. Oh, yes. That makes so much sense now. (laughs) So she was, you know, pronouncing as Tater Pig. But to me, it sounded like more intuitive as Tater Pig. And so one day I was, you know, riding my, you know, bicycle from Shinchon to my, uh, you know, Kumo. And that's about an, an hour ride. And it was, you know, night, pitch dark, silent. So I was just alone with my thoughts. And I was, wow. I was thinking, okay, Tater Pig, Tater Pig. It's a potato and a pig. 
So if I make a pig out of potato, it's going to be really cute. And I could say this. That's true. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> oh, my God. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, after the bike ride, I went to sleep. And I woke up, got myself a sack of potatoes, made a few tater pigs with them. And then I just scribbled this, the rules on, on my notebook and just scanned it. So it's handwritten and handmade. Uh, the point of the game is that it's a no-player game. It's in, nobody actually has any agency in playing this because the player, the person who gets the tater pig, don't get to make you know don't get to make any choices about their tater pig, and I, the person who makes the tater pig, don't get any choices either. I just Make the tater pig at random. So nobody's agency, but the player is able to imagine what those choices mean according to rules. Okay, so how... We're going to have... Agatha and I are going to have to, on a separate occasion, make a tater pig. <laughs> yeah, like I have to play this game. So then how is it in a game if there's no players? Is it, Can a game be a game if no one is playing? Oh, that's one thing that I wanted to talk about slash joke about with Tater Pig. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, well, it kind of began with my thinking on player agency in two of the role-playing games. And I guess the point I was trying to make, I guess, is that is that the right way to say it? Well, what's that? In Tater Pig, nobody actually gets to make any meaningful choices, but they're still able to make, you know, they're still able to make meaningful imaginations. Like, they see something happen, and they can imagine what that actually means in the context of Tater Pig. So the mm -hmm. game is like, so you order Tater Pig for me, and I make a Tater Pig for you. And you mm -hmm. follow the rules and you see, like, say, the tater pig's face. Is it piggy or kawi or is it not a face at all? And there's a rules that a lot, you know, help you imagine what that means. Like, if it's got a piggy face, then it must have a, you know, it must have had a happy childhood. And that kind of informs <laughs> the later part of the imagination. If it has mm -hmm. crooked legs, then maybe it doesn't really, the tater pig might not have, you know, there are many loyal friends, but it's those few loyal friends that keep them upright. Oh. Yeah. So it's it's like, it reminds me of um, Jian Shim's game, Pin Feathers and Cloud Studies. It's like a, a, another Korean creator. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, they're, uh, it's like similar, like short game, but it's like a thought exercise. That's kind of how I understand it. Oh that's yeah, like a thought exercise. Yeah, that's a that's a good description. I'm gonna add that somewhere. <laughs> Take it. Take it. It's yours. Uh, yeah, like tater, tater pigs, like a, a thought exercise. I like to call it an imagination game. <gasps> oh yeah, that's even better. Oh my gosh, I literally, when I was a kid, my sister and I would play pretend but that we would always call them imagination games uh, so this makes me very excited to see 
these two words mashed together. <laughs> it's like it's like you were ahead of the curve when when you were a kid. I like, was I was the true hipster kid. <laughs> true hipster kid. It's an imagination game. Oh my gosh, it's not. <laughs> it's not just playing pretend. It's an imagination game. Don't you get it? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay, so so then uh, so do you do you like how does this game work? So you you make this pig and then you take a picture of it. Do you continue to take pictures and then the players just see it, or how or do you send the pig to them? Like how does that work? Well, if the player lives in the whole metropolitan area, I can deliver the potato pig to them. But oh my God. it turns out, you know, potatoes, what potato pigs are made of, are highly perishable, so they don't survive international shipping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I am forced to just send the photos of the potato pig, like a lot of them. And okay. I try to take as many photos it's possible to enable all kinds of imaginations. That's so cool. That's that's such an interesting concept. It is. Uh, it's it's wow. It's just a silly concept, but it, I guess it resonated with some people because it's it's one of the most uh, actually it's the most viewed game on my page right now. Like by about hundredfold. Oh wow! I can tell you why. It's because that picture is so cute. It's really cute. <laughs> uh, People, well, I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, "What is that?" And then I saw it on your Twitter, and I was like, "What?" So I had to look deeper. And I was just, it, it caught my attention. See, this whole idea of imagination game is really validating a project that I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really validating a project that I'm working on. Because I have a diceless, GMless, token-based game that I designed, and it's just one page, but it's literally an imagination game about that Japanese reality show Terrace House. And now I'm just gonna, oh my god, I'm just gonna, can I use imagination game? I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna credit you. Oh, imagination! Oh, you don't oh. even need to credit me. Imagination <laughs> need to become a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's literally that. I think you should credit me. <laughs> I credit, credit Agatha. <laughs> Agatha when she was four. No, I'm kidding. Four year old credit four year old Agatha. No, I didn't speak uh, English at that point, so <laughs> no. Man. So so you got you've got Tater Pig, which is mm-hmm. which is, you know, I like an imagination game, a, a a thought exercise, whatever you want to call it. A no player RPG. A no player RPG. And, and then you go to like Moonflower. Which is like thematically like you know, very different. Uh, it is right? very different. Very different. Moon, Moonflower is all, almost more like uh, like contemplative, it, and it has mechanics. It uses tarot cards. Like uh, a session can like take up to like four hours for that game. Mm-hmm. Like so, Moonflower obviously you you came out with first before Tater Pig, right? Mm-hmm. And then you translated it to English. Yes. Moonflower? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Oh, yeah, sure. Moonflower actually, well, okay, maybe it's becoming a theme in my creativity, but Moonflower also started as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. Yeah. I like this a lot. So I was just bored one day and asked people to give me three ingredients for a game and then I was I would challenge myself to make a game of it. Game out of it in three hours. Oh, no 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 three days. Three hours 
would be tough. Three hours would be insane. Yeah. So over three days, I had to make a game about what pet plants, two the love between a mortal and an immortal, and three self perpetuating resource. So I got this three oh. really odd ingredients, and I tried to make a game out of it. And that was the first version of Moonflower, which was terrible. But the quality was good, I thought. So I just kept improving it after those three days. And about three months later, the copy that's on my each page is what's ready then. It's getting even readier, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, totally. So what what is Moonflower? Oh, Moonflower is... Uh, uh, I always turtle when I try to explain what Moonflower is because in my modest opinion, it's such a unique game. Uh, Moonflower is a story game about these three pilgrims who live in a world that are teeming with beauty and flowers and trees and nature. But there's a problem because there's a strange mystical or monstrous flower called blue flower that's blooming all across the world. So the pilgrims have to go on a journey to the moon to meet the gardeners. And that's actually the whole of the story part of the game. The rest is, rest is made up by the players and the tarot cards. Hmm. What 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 prompted you to use the tarot cards? Because the major arcana cards are interesting. Hmm. Uh well, at first I was thinking about using dice, but I kind of hate dice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I was thinking about other ways of you know introducing random elements in storytelling. And I thought, you know, tarot cards, they already come, you know fully packed with stories. Right. Yeah, but I decided to give them a, you know, a unique Moonflower twist to the tarot cards. Like, so the tower usually means, you know, collapse, destruction, sudden change. But in the context of Moonflower, it actually refers to a great tree, which might be a city or monument that falls down and causes the destruction of history or these emotions. So Moonflower has oh, unique interest in, uh, uh, <laughs> unique readings of these cards, and they are what they are what mm, they are what is used to come up with stories as these pilgrims go on a journey. Okay. Huh. Yeah. This is a. I feel like the sound of the story does sound like a lot of, I guess, Eastern Asian myths. Um, with the moon yeah the mm -hmm. moon and then also having to go to the sky and then meet the gardeners like this organization that is kind of like above humans yes like seeking help from the gods yeah that's cool but they're that, not that's really sense. cool yeah they're like there's a, like a lot of asian themes in there yeah mm -hmm. <sighs> i kind of want to do that now yeah I three themes three days <laughs> Uh, That'd be tough. I'll give you an ingredient. Oh, we'll do okay. We we should we should do this for um, 
We should do this with our community. Oh, we should. Let's do that. Okay, so we're Agatha and I are going to uh, use Moonflower as inspiration, and we're going to actually try and Asians represent ah. game design, game jam challenge, wow. game inspired jam. by you. Yeah, oh, wow. we oh, are. Wow. I feel so motivated. <laughs> I feel. So, I feel like. Well, like, what am I doing? Like, like you made a game out of three like random ingredients, and you turned it into something like beautiful and thought provoking. Yeah. So. So is the self-perpetuating resource still an element in this version of Moonflower or no? Oh, well, the self-perpetuating resource element is reflected as, so the blue flower is sort of a spiritual parasite. And the more you tap its powers, it grows stronger and it grows deeper into you. And that's how it reflected the self-perpetuating resource because... Oh my god. Even though it's Dang. a source of power, it it's a parasite. It grows into you. Oh, that's so good. Dang. That, that's so awesome. <laughs> Moonflower is an awesome game. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, that that's no, that's really cool. That's such a like that's such a cool idea. And I mean it is it's it's unique. Like yeah. there are lots of RPGs about, you know, journeys. Mm-hmm. Um but like the the way you describe you know the challenges of this game um like how you actually designed it how you went about like working on this project that's really cool and and that in itself is unique like the process like just sounds super unique to me oh man that's awesome oh so you've got you've got these like really cool projects on on your itchio page um, so you have uh, Moonflower, Tater Pig, and what's uh, like one card RPGs? Oh, the one card RPGs? Uh, it's going to be cliche at this point, but there was another joke. <laughs> okay. So last year, uh, around August, I challenged myself to make a game every day of the month. What? Wow. Okay. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> Yes, honestly, I couldn't make a, you know, a full, you know, even one page game every day. So I decided to say, you know, the games I'm going to make are going to fit on an index card. So it's this mic, well, maybe nano games that are really stripped down and rely on, you know, existing role-playing game grammar or board game grammar. Right. So... So I did succeed in making a game every day for about a month. And then I got burned out for half a year. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. Yeah, it makes sense. But recently, a friend of mine actually joined the project. So the two of us, two of us are making a... Excuse me. So the two of us are making a game every day on rotation. And that's been much easier and much more stimulating because we're exchanging ideas about how to make these nano games that could work, that could be fun, that could, you know, make people think. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading one of them right now, um, Brendan's uh, Into the Thick of Battle. <sighs> and it's literally like like a card. You're cornered, make a plan for a breakthrough. You must survive at any cost. And it's just, it's a, it's another like sort of experiment. Like, who's the enemy? What terrain do they occupy? What are their goals? 
explain who the enemy are and what they want until everyone has a clear idea of the opposition. And then you talk about it. That's really neat. Uh, oh, but there's also dice. Um, oh, cool. It's it's really stripped down. Mm-hmm. Really stripped yeah. down. So what could our huh. really bare bones on purpose? Right. Sketchbook diary. Wow. These are really neat. <laughs> Thank you. Like it's such an interesting. So how how long is so are you still doing one card? Or so are you still doing one every other day? Oh uh, well, for the last two weeks, I haven't been able to you know do one card RPGs because I've been really busy with another project. Wow. Uh, so what what project is that? Um, okay, so it's the the true final form of Moonflower, actually. Ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Moonflower as it is now is I think is incomplete. I mean on the each page I have it marked as under development and that's not a lie. Okay. Even though I even though I think the game is fully playable and enjoyable right now, in my mind there's this this book of infinite beauty. And I want to make that a reality. So I've been working on making a a full print version of Moonflower. Ooh. And Ooh. and well, so we've been talking to illustrators and layout designers to make that happen. And I've been on a sort of a, a crunchy schedule because I have this ambition to bring Moonflower to Kickstarter on the full moon. The full moon of May? What, which day is it's that? The 19th. Oh, wow. Oh, whoa. That's like, that's kind of cool, though. It's like full moon, boom, Kickstarter. Is that is that after when we release this, though? Yeah, well, uh, that's after we release it. So, <laughs> are, so are you set for May 19th? Uh, that's... Um... It's pretty much set because full moon of May is the last full moon of spring. And so that's something that I really don't want to miss. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna get all over sharing this then. Yeah, we'll definitely be sharing about it. So by the time this by the time this episode comes out, it will be um it will be early June. Mm -hmm. But before that we'll also be pushing for this on uh social media but definitely if you hear about this um the kickstarter may still be going but it could also be done (laughs) hey no yeah i mean like may 19th that's soup that's that's ambitious i've never heard of anybody timing a kickstarter around like a moon phase yeah but it but but it's obviously like in theme with this Mm -hmm. and the social media about it would be super interesting Uh, yeah it would be right because when i'm just thinking about our social media and how we would time, you know, retweeting you would be like the timing would be really, really weird because it'd be like, it's the full moon, time for moonflower, and we look outside, the sun's out. <laughs> right, that's true. But it's the full moon in Korea right now. Yeah. Oh, that'd be that's so cool. That is so cool. you're gonna have basically a fully, fully realized, mm-hmm. fully bloomed moonflower. Yes. I'm a game. Yeah. Oh man, a full book. I mean, 
Looks like I'm backing a couple things in May. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, I'm backing a couple things in May. Um, so you've got you've got Moonflower, you've got one card RPG, which is like, to be honest, a mind-boggling yeah. like project. Yeah. That's I, I tried doing like a you like when I was living in China, I tried to make a YouTube video once a day, and that was exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And that was just recording and editing. Yeah, I, I'm shocked by how you are still going with this project after your one month intensive. <laughs> yeah, just doing doing like doing it like every day for a week sounds intense. Yeah, man, like I I really I really admire that. So yeah, Moonflower one card, and obviously Tater Pig, which I didn't even think about its connection to TTRPG. That's amazing. I did not think about that. Now I'm just gonna say the Tater Pig community. <laughs> yeah, Tater Pig. Let's make that a thing. Uh, like Asians represent fans, like hashtag tater pig. Hashtag tater pig. Hashtag so, tater pig. And I see on your website that it, you you call it the a congregation of analog game oh, designers yeah. based in Korea. And I see that most of the projects is yours, except for the one the one card RPG, which is you're doing it with your friend, right? Are you envisioning that more people can put their stuff on this site as well? Uh, yes, yes. We are actually trying to make that, you know, Magister Ludit label a sort of a launchpad for creators who want to, you know, get their stuff shown, shared around the world, which right. I can help right. with because my day job is as a translator. Yeah, that's right. Now, I mean, that's that. That's why I kind of said you you're well positioned to kind of help put, you know, the Korean tater pig. <laughs> community on a global <laughs> scale <laughs> nice nice right <laughs> yeah oh that's that's super cool so if if people want to you know find you on the internet people want to ask you questions mm -hmm. what's the best way they can get in touch with you oh uh, well in english the place that i'm most active at is twitter right now it's uh well you can find me at a uh, health and cup it's I would probably need to spell it out. Should I just send the link to you or just spell it out here? Yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, we can spell it out. It's H-E-O-F-O-N-K-O-P-P-E. -P -P we'll also link that in the show notes. That's on Twitter. And uh, Heaven Spider, is that your Korean, it's my Korean uh, Twitter account? Yes. Okay. So there is Heaven Spider and Heaven Cope. Uh, that's H-E-O-F-O-N-K-O-P-P-E. And then, of course, you know, your your Itch.io page, um, that's uh, Magister Ludi, yes. right? K-R. Yeah, K-R, Korea. Um, and you also have a Twitter for that. That's awesome. And I, I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing more games pop up on this from, from other creators because I'm, I'm really keen on seeing what the Korean design community has and, and eventually playing all of those games. Yeah, this looks really cool. Yeah, I'm super excited for Moonflower because it's just like, it's an interesting concept. To I want to play it. Yeah, maybe we'll play it on the show. Maybe. Wow. Oh, well, we should. Yeah. We should. We'll, we'll, I, I know this is something that Jade would really like. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Um, Sangjun, like, thank you so much for, uh, you know, staying up late because we know it's late in Korea uh, and, you know, just sitting down to, to talk with Agatha and I, I, uh, this is, this was like, honestly, like eye opening. I thought this was awesome. This was mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. And it was great talking about this because 
I've been aching to talk, talk about this for years. <laughs> well, let, let's let's make sure that this isn't the only time we talk on Asians Represent. Yes. Thanks to Sangjun for joining us for this episode of Asians Represent. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Because, you know, you rock. Asians Represent is part of the One Shot Podcast Network. If you head to oneshotpodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like The Broadswords, an all-women actual play D&D podcast focusing on roleplay, narrative, and diversity at the gaming table. If you have questions about this episode's themes... Uh, the games discussed, or anything else related to Asians Represent, get in touch with us on our Twitter, at AZNS Represent, on Instagram, at AZNS Represent, on Facebook, you guessed it, at AZNS Represent, or at AZNS Represent at OneShotPodcast.com. I'm Daniel, and Agatha should have been here, but the schedule's conflicted, and you've just listened to Asians Represent. <laughs>